Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. And of course, this show goes live on Friday, February 17th, which is the day that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania officially opens in theaters. So what are our plans, Aaron? When, when are we actually going to go see this thing? That, that is the question right now, because uh, I've seen a, a lot of reviews that are not totally super kind at the moment. And, yeah. and so I went from uh, excitement needle at 10 down to excitement needle at 6. And so now it's like, do I have to be there opening day? I really don't want to be in a crowded theater. Uh, well, let's see. We'll just play it by ear and see what happens. So I honestly okay. don't know if, if I'm going to make it right in the theater early in the morning or not. To support what Aaron's saying here, I actually went over to Rotten Tomatoes. And as of right now, Rotten Tomatoes has this a Peyton Reed film listed at a 53% freshness rating. Mm -hmm. Only 158 reviews have come into date. And for example, when Black Panther Wakanda Forever, when they aggregated its freshness rating, which by the way was 84%, they'd had over 400 reviews. So it'll be interesting to see where the numbers goes from here. But Aaron's not wrong. The general consensus seems to be about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is that Let's start with the good news. Jonathan Majors' Kang is evidently a thrilling villain that people, you know, are like, oh, I want to see more of this guy. But at the same time, Quantum Mania itself, in that it's setting up the multiverse in phase five, evidently there's a there's a lot of lifting. There's a lot of plot setting, but maybe not as much plot wrapping. Well, I mean, we kind of expected a little bit of that because Kang has to carry on to, you know, be the, the big bad throughout this entire arc. So I couldn't expect a total resolution where everything gets, you know, summed up with a nice tidy little bow at the end of this one. There has to be some loose ends for this to, to move oh, no, forward, no, no, no. right? So Absolutely. And does this even matter? You know, the early tracking for this film, well, we were talking about the numbers last week, that Disney is anticipating that they catch a break over the four-day-long President's Day weekend. There's no weather event. There's, you know, that sort of thing. They'll do at least $120 million domestically in the in U.S. and Canada. And then they've just released info about what they anticipate doing overseas, and they're going to do $160 million with China, you know, China's finally back on the board as far as the MCU. And, you know, they're projecting they'll do 35 to 55 million just in China alone. That's 160 million. So that's that's an opening weekend of $280 million. Yeah, it's also the first step in a very, very, very long convoluted franchise. And the thing is, if, if they, we all know they're going to make the money. Like, mm -hmm. we don't even have to do Vegas odds. Is Marvel going to make their money back on Ant-Man? Answer is 100% absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely okay. they would. Never had a doubt about that. The, the question is, if there's a swing and a miss, maybe it's storytelling-wise, maybe it's casting-wise, who knows? But, you know, right now, some people are saying it's not the greatest movie. So if they, if they take a, a big swing and a miss storytelling-wise and it doesn't pay off, that can have a ripple effect that leads down into other movies, and, and that's where we're going to see some, 
Marvel's usually really good at course correcting. Like they'll wait for something to come out, and fans, you know, will be very honest with Nash teeth. Or I didn't like it because of this. And sometimes we have a valid point, and and Marvel will listen to those things and and take those things into account for the future steps that they take. But if they really bobble it, you know, on the very first step to this big epic journey. How many people are going to tune out? That's that's the danger right there. If there's a little bit of superhero movie fatigue, we're just looking for a reason to bail out. Marvel, you've been pretty decent so far. You've been almost a perfect track record. But by God, if you screw this up, I'm bailing, right? It's kind of how people feel right now. If I just don't have the time or the energy for big, long, huge five-movie story arcs. In all of the, the hype and the publicity that's been going on for Quantum Mania. It's only just now people are sort of pivoting back to Wakanda forever, and it's like, well, how did that wind up doing? Because remember, the DVD Blu-ray just came out this week, so we're into that part of the revenue stream. But face it, you know, in the when folks are like you, Aaron, when you know they collect movies digitally, they're they're not buying the physical copies anymore. So that's not quite the great revenue stream that it once was. I don't even buy the digital anymore because I've got Disney Plus. I don't have to. Disney's taken away all the incentive for me to make a purchase beyond Disney Plus. Which it's going to it's going to come into our math later on when we end up talking about budgets and whatnot. But that's a a thing that that is existing Mm -hmm. right now is I'm a I'm a hardcore fan, but I haven't spent a nickel on physical or digital media from them because simply because uh, virtue of Disney Plus existing. The other day, you know, Nancy and I, you know, we were having our Valentine's Day. We went out to lunch and we swung by uh, Target to, to pick up some stuff for the house. And almost by muscle memory, I threw the, the Black Panther Blu-ray DVD. I mean, I, I can't bring myself mm-hmm. to pay the, the almost $35 now for the 4K. But it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm paying $27. And Nancy, you know, just sort of looked at me. It's like, Really? Really? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, even on you know on Apple Plus or Apple TV, you know, when you look at the store, uh, you, you just spend the twenty bucks and you get the four K version, and I mean, you don't get the bonus features most of the time, and and anything you know, all the gratuitous bonuses are, are usually missing, but you get a very serviceable four K copy that looks pretty darn slick on your screen without any streaming at a at a better price point, twenty bucks versus almost double that. At some point, the math is going to start ticking in your head. And you're going to be like, you know, this doesn't sound like the worst idea in the world. Let's give it a shot. Also, by the way, anytime you buy a physical media, it usually comes with a little scan code that gives you a digital mm-hmm. copy as well. Make sure you scan oh, that every no. time and you'll end up building a library of hundreds without even realizing it. And then at some point, you're going to be like, you know what? I've already got a library. I'm just going to switch and, and off, you're off and running. So, Speaking of something that looked very, very slick. This past Friday, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur finally debuted on Disney Channel. It also just now dropped on Disney+. Plus. It's two episodes back-to-back, so it's roughly an hour. Oh, Aaron, good this stuff. looks so good. Yeah. Good stuff. They did a, did a nice job. I mean, it's one of those, those animated series that the kids will love, but also is smart enough and well-written and put together that the parents will be entertained as well. Now, mind you, I, I still have 15 minutes left because I had to hurry back to here to, to work on the show. But I, as soon as we get done here, I pop that back on the DVR and take a look. Anyway, back to Black Panther Wakanda Forever. If we use the original Black Panther yardstick, and remember that came out in theaters in 2018, 
made 700 million stateside, uh, 649 overseas. That's 1.3 billion. So Black Panther Wakanda Forever, on the other hand, only made 453 million stateside and an additional 401 million overseas. So it came in at 855 million. And that's 63% of the business. Do you know, did did, uh, episode one, so to speak, have China available to it? And did episode two not have China? Was there any difference like that territory wise that may have helped skew the numbers at all? Yes, it did open in China, but with the caveat that it opened in China like a week ago. Oh, okay. And given with piracy and and that sort of thing, that this film was readily available. So, yes, it was hindered by that. I mean, beyond just that, it was a difficult movie to market because you really couldn't show the new version of Black Panther without tipping your hat to what the story was going to end up revealing, right? So... Mm-hmm. It was a difficult movie to market, and honestly, it, it felt like, uh, not in a bad way, but a church service for a, a lost loved one in movie form, right? We really don't okay. usually, if if uh, someone who used to play Superman, heaven forbid, were to pass mm-hmm. away, usually you wouldn't have a movie without Superman that paid tribute to the actors that much. Usually they would just recast and go, okay, new Superman, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And this really felt like it was honoring Chadwick in a way that you just don't see from Hollywood films, especially Disney. And uh, yeah, when I, when I went to go see Black Panther in theaters, I didn't feel like I was watching an MCU movie. I felt like I was watching a, a memorial for Chadwick in a really odd sort of way. That's what that felt like to me. So, you know, to compare that to Ant-Man, which is the very first steps in, in our next phase versus this, which is a mm-hmm. lot more personal and intimate. I think on on its scale, even though it's large and you know over two and a half hours long, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just a, a different feel, different movie, different circumstances. Really hard to compare that Granny Smith apple to a, a Red Delicious apple. I, I can definitely get behind that. Okay, uh, we're gonna have a little bit more about uh, what kind of forever in a moment, but first, want to remind you that the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience every time, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. Okay, so I, I was just mentioning Nancy and I are, I are out uh, enjoying our lovely Valentine's Day. In fact, first time ever. We we had Detroit pizza. Oh, wow. I could do a half so, hour on Detroit-style pizza. Go ahead. So it's the crust. Then well, it's, it's there's, the cheese, yeah, crust, cheese, crust well, cheese right. sauce, but it's it's very, very specific. It's a square pan. Uh, you, right. you put in your dough. You put on your cheese, but it's Wisconsin brick cheese, which melts very, very evenly and is super, super buttery in flavor. And if you're going to do Detroit style, it has to be Wisconsin brick cheese. And then you do your mm-hmm. sauce on top, and then you do your pepperonis and any other things that you might put as as toppings on that. But yeah, it is divine. And you know, we could start a whole thing about New York style versus Chicago style versus Detroit. Oh, forget mm-hmm. about it. Oh. Wow. Okay. I, I wish I had you at lunch yesterday. I mean, we enjoyed it, but it was a, the same thing. It's like, how was this constructed? This is really cool. Oh, well, all right. Anyway, so we have our lunch. We're driving home. We're listening to NPR Fresh Air. And who's on NPR but Ruth E. Carter, uh, the costume designer for both the original Black Panther as well as Wakanda Forever, and by the way. 
she's also up for an Academy Award for this film. And she was telling so, so many amazing stories about working on this film. Like, for example... With the original Black Panther, you know, it, it, the whole notion of, okay, it's set in Africa, and it's like, okay, but, you know, there is this thinking in Hollywood, you know, to the effect of, okay, Africa, you know, we know what that looks like. It's like, no, Africa is home to a thousand tribes, all of which dress differently and have different cultural traditions. And so Ruth, when she was working on, you know, the, the very first one, you know, Black Panther film, did months and months of research and eventually winnowed it down to 10 to 12 tribes who had, you know, strong visuals and cultural icons that she really loved. Then she sat down with Ryan Coogler and they, they sort of mixed and matched. They, you know, they were looking for stuff to do to give Black Panther an authentic look that, but that sampled as many cultures as possible. She also talked about specifically working on the uh, Wakanda Forever, which, as you mentioned, starts off with the mourning of, of T'Challa. And, but this is a woman who's working on the movie talking about the challenges of those individual scenes where, you know, for example, during the days of mourning for Black Panther, the entire kingdom dresses in white. But they were staging these scenes out of doors in this incredibly muddy area. And so Ruth literally had to turn to the production coordinator and say, look, my entire cast is dressed in white, you know, and I need to get them from the makeup and, you know, wardrobe tent to the set. You need to build me a road. And they had to bring in gravel. They had to bring in heavy earth movie equipment just so it would be possible to get, to get everybody to set looking pristine so the visuals would back up what they were trying to do here. See, that's why uh, Marvel needs to invest in a hovercraft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't care about no mud. Yeah. We just float right over it. All right, Angela Bassett, hop on. I'm going to get the rest of the cast. Yeah. Okay. Now, other lovely little tidbit buried down in this. Right now, she's working on the Blade reboot, which, at least according to what Mr. Feige was saying in his, his Entertainment Weekly interview, which we'll talk about at length on the second half of today's show, we are 10 weeks out from the start of production on that. So The uh, stuff about the costumes, I was able to catch the uh, Black Panther Assembled video on Disney Plus that just came out recently. And oh, yeah. uh, it was very, very similar kind of thought process when they were doing the architecture of Wakanda. And they actually had, like, actors. I believe there was one that was, like, from Zimbabwe. And, mm -hmm. uh, and they were just basically talking about how we got to imagine what our culture and civilization could have advanced like had it not been interrupted by the colonizers. And that was, like, mm -hmm. a really, you know, powerful and an important moment for them to of figuring out what does Wakanda look like as a city? You know, the architecture. And, and it was like, yeah, but you've got all of these years of, you know, England being here with tea and biscuits. And I don't think that's quite where that would have gone. And so they kind of got to pretend history away for a little bit and go, if we got to evolve on our own without interruption, I think this is where we would have headed. And I think that would have been, you know, rather exciting for a lot of those actors and designers you know, in your your fantasy wish fulfillment when you're drawing your sketches, to have a task mm -hmm. like that of, can you imagine if your civilization were not interrupted, where would you be right now? Oh, what a what a wonderful job I think that would be to, of of drawing that or making that costume or that architecture come to life. 
lovely transitional opportunity here. You were just talking about England and tea and biscuits. Yeah. And earlier this week, we learned that Emma Corrin, uh, she's the, the young lady who played Princess Diana in the, the Crown series. Mm -hmm. She's officially just joined the cast of Deadpool 3. By the way, Aaron and I were talking off air before we got started here tonight about the other news about who's potentially joining the cast of this first R-rated MCU film. And, well, to, to set this up, Sir Patrick Stewart is out doing publicity for Picard, uh, season three. That, that, in fact, I think it's getting underway tonight on Paramount+. Plus. And, you know, in passing, one of the reporters, you know, are, are you looking forward to the the new Deadpool film and seeing Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine? He said, funny thing, I was just told to be on standby for that film. He goes on to say that his good friend, Sir Ian McKellen, also is planning to return to, you know, or in this case, I guess, officially enter the MCU by putting an appearance on Deadpool 3. So what's your take on that, Aaron? To, to suddenly go from, okay, it's... Hugh Jackman is Wolverine to we're getting Professor X and potentially Magneto back in this movie. You know what what you didn't hear about from that interview mm -hmm. was the uh, Marvel mm -hmm. PR team rappelled down from some skylights to take out that chatty Mr. Talkie Box, but some Starfleet representatives phased them and stunned them and protected Sir Pat Captain Picard because he's just got so many jobs that uh, you know Paramount's like I'm sorry Marvel PR team this man's important we've got stuff to film you're gonna have to wait your turn so uh, yeah I can't believe that he's just saying that with no repercussions that, I mean Marvel's really super secretive so to pull that cat out of the bag is is uh, but again I, I think the old guy's just also good at having some fun as well. You know, it's like, it, I honestly believe, hands down, that Ryan Reynolds never talked to Feige or anyone at Marvel about bringing in Hugh Jackman. He just put up a YouTube video that said, Hugh Jackman's in my next Deadpool movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of the, the scam that they're going to go with, where Patrick Stewart can go, you know, oh, by the way, uh, Ian McKellen's also in the movie. That's what I hear. Yes, that's what I hear indeed. <laughs> tea and crumpets, tea and cookies, mm, biscuit, yes, delicious. Make it so. Okay. To circle back to Ms. Corrin, the rumor that's making the rounds, Emma is supposed to play Lady Deadpool, the Wanda Wilson from A Parallel Earth? Okay. I can see that. I mean, why not? Okay. I mean, we've we've already had our, our multi-Peters from the Spider-Man movies. We're going to have mm -hmm. Wolverine back from the Fox universe. We're getting ready to go into this crazy multiverse with Kang. Why mm -hmm. the hell shouldn't we have Lady Deadpool be introduced by now? Well, be interesting to see if this actually happens. Pivoting now to something that almost happens. Did you do you see this John Leguizamo story about Spider-Man Homecoming? John was not in Homecoming, was he? I don't think he was. He well, no, he was not. But the folks at Marvel had had conversations with Michael Keaton about coming to play the Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming. For whatever reason, Michael had hesitated. They pivoted to John, and in an interview that he just did, he's out doing publicity now for the, I guess, violent night that the Blu-ray DVD of that is coming out. Mm -hmm. And so he sat down with comicbook.com and to the effect explained, look, I was supposed to be the vulture. We had negotiated, and I was about to play him, and then they said that Michael Keaton wanted it back, and they asked if I would give it up. 
And he said, well, okay, I guess. They said, no, we'll work with you. We're going to, you know, and evidently they offered him a tinier role in the film and John at that point went, nah, you know, yeah, exactly. I would have been the same way. The no, I ain't playing that yeah. game. Give me the feathers, freaks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there was uh, once upon a time they were going to have uh, Malkovich playing mm-hmm. uh, Sam Raimi's true. fourth version. This is true. Yeah, and when mm-hmm. if he if Raimi got to do Sp- Spider Man four, they would have had Malkovich as the Vulture. It would have been mm-hmm. great if if Michael Keaton had turned it down to go back to Malkovich for a minute. I really can't see John Leguizamo like being that character in any way, shape, or form. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind him playing a, a big bad villain somewhere in the Spidey universe. I just never thought about him as as casting. I'd have to think about who he'd be good as. Well, I, you know, toward that end, I, I have to ask, did you see the Super Bowl ad where we got two Batmans for the, the price of one? Yeah, that's that's a tough pill for a Marvel fan to swallow right now because I saw that trailer and and my jaw hurt when it hit the floor real hard. And uh, even my wife, who has not been on the superhero bandwagon for a long, long time and who has no love for anything DC, was like, that looks like the most fun movie of the year. I want to see that and I hate that it's DC. And I'm like, right on, sister. Let's go see it because it looks just great. And and you know they're doing their many worlds. I don't know how how they phrase their their multiverse, but you know they're going to be having a multiverse of their own. And it looks like they're going to do a spectacular job with it. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. And the thing that really sucks is the Snyder mm-hmm. fans. Mm-hmm. Boy, are they going to be vocal when they really realize that this is the end of something and not the the continuation of something. Oh, uh, a quick side note yeah. here. We were talking about John Leguizamo, comic book movies, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I want to remind folks that Spawn back in 97. Yeah, the clown. Yeah. Oh, he was wonderful as the clown. Oh, I mean, he's a great actor. And, and you know, I mean, he's always been able to uh, blend in a, a, a much more chameleon-like than I ever would have mm-hmm. thought to have given him credit for. So I don't mm-hmm. doubt that he's got the ability to play just about any role thrown at him with great effect. I think he would do wonderful with just about anything. I just don't see him as as the vulture being the next logical choice. So I, I wonder how that connection was was made at Marvel. We're like, you know what? John Leguizamo's the answer. I want to know who came, who had that idea and, and where it came from. Well, now, speaking of wondering who came up with that idea, I, I sought out... Uh, news of this project after seeing you talk about it on social media the spider-man noir live action series that's in the work for amazon so didn't the character that nicholas cage voice Mm -hmm. in spider-man into into the spider-verse yep so we got to start a a, a grassroots campaign for everyone to get nick Mm -hmm. cage cast as the uh, Mm -hmm. spider-man noir so we can get that same incarnation because I want I want to see him still working on the Rubik's cube in black and white. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I want to see happen. That's the <laughs> the plot thread that needs to carry on into this Amazon series. Now, Jim, the uh, interesting thing here is you know in the mm-hmm. streaming landscape that we've got this, everyone's yep. got a streaming mm-hmm. service. Sony doesn't. 
Mm-hmm. What are they doing? They're they're buddying up close with Amazon real tight because it's not just the Spider-Man Noir series that they're shuffling over there as well. They've got all of their spider projects, I think, are, are basically going to Amazon. Uh, I believe Silk was going that way. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, Sony's, you know, they're looking to still make money off of their spider, their spunk uh, universe mm-hmm. there. But it, it doesn't all have to be theatrical things like Madam Web. They are are mm. cozying up with Amazon and making deals left and right. So, yeah, the latest one is the Spider-Man noir. No cast yet, no script, no nothing. Just, eh, we, we know who the character is and we're going to do a thing with it is where they're mm. at right now. Mm. Oh, of course, speaking of folks who, are, you know, uh, who do limited series and... This time last year, we were all still in the afterglow of, of Hawkeye. I uh, just wanted to follow up on Mr. Renner, who had that horrible accident on uh, January 1st, uh, you know, with the snowplow uh, tipping over on him and breaking over 30 bones. And Evangeline Lilly, who, of course, plays the Wasp in Quantumania, uh, is out making the rounds uh, promoting that film and was speaking with Access Hollywood and mentioned that she's actually been to Jeremy's home to check up on him. So she talked about, I walked into his house and got chicken skin because I'm like, how, why are you mobile? What's happening? And I said, I expected to have to sit by his bedside and hold his hands while he moaned and groaned in pain and wasn't able to move. And he's wheeling himself around and laughing with his friends. You know, it's just sort of like, it's a straight up miracle. You know, he's made of something really tough, that guy, and always been able to see that in him, and he is recovering incredibly. So, uh, by the way, there, there's a, an accident that's about to happen. Hold on. I've fallen out of my chair and I have broken. Let me count one, two, three, four. Yes, 30 bones. Indeed, 30 bones have been broken. I'm in extreme pain. Evangeline Lily, I could use a house call. <laughs> this message has been brought to you by the accidental Aaron Adams. Thank you. Good night. All right. Well, on that note, uh, we're going to take a slight pause here, uh, check out a few ads, and when we get back, boy, we have another thing that I hope people don't think is spoilery. Mentioned earlier in the show, uh, Swung by Target, picked up my copy of Black Panther Wakanda Forever and wandered into the toy aisle and came across a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 Lego set. Oh, yeah? Is this one of those where they, it's a set piece from the movie with the characters uh, to play with? Or is it a ship? It is a ship. Ah, so is it the, is it not the, the Bowie? Is that where we're at now? Is it the Bowie? This piece, this 330-piece set, was Baby Rocket's ship. Oh, Okay. It comes with a, a, a really for real baby rocket uh, Lego figure, minifigure. Likewise, an adult rocket minifigure. So moving on now to the Kevin Feige interview with uh, Entertainment Weekly, which I, I, <laughs> I saw you commenting on. You, know, <laughs> you did a wonderful job of connecting the dots between <laughs> Bob Iger's earnings call and, and Mr. Feige. Would you explain that? Man, that's teamwork. I tell you, if, there, if there's ever been teamwork, uh, Kevin Feige should get the trophy for the heavy lifting on that one. Because uh, during the interview, he was asked, you know, about all the the series that we've had on Disney Plus. And he was like, yeah, you know, we want to space those out, slow those down and really, you know, give them time to shine as their own crown jewel. 
which it translated means we had a massive budget cut recently. We won't be able to be doing quite as much as we did in the past, but in order to toe the, the corporate line, I am so thrilled to announce that uh, I have less work to do. <laughs> I'll be taking Mondays off. Thank you. Today's version of Marvel Studios, I think at this point we are doing eight projects a year. and But as you just mentioned, said I think that's going to shift a little bit. They all have to stand apart and stand alone and be different from one another. So we're going to space things out. We're now, gonna, gonna, Jim, this uh, goes back to a thing I've, I brought up several episodes ago, and that was how hmm. Disney Plus needs to look at their calendar. Because you've got Star Wars content that you're creating that's going to be coming out, and it's going to be placed over top of Marvel content that's going to be coming out, and it's just a little bit too much. So if they do less, you know, you've only got to cover 12 months. And so if you look at things like maybe they're going quarterly, where here uh, this uh, Marvel show will cover like, you know, two months of subscription time. And then this Marvel show will cover two months of subscription time, and and you plan kind of like that, and then you put your Star Wars stuff in those in those little slots where you're not occupied by Marvel, and all of a sudden you're not overcrowded, you're just comfortably crowded, where all the gaps are full but not overflowing. Well, I guess what's also intriguing here is the specific quote is, the pace at which we're putting out the Disney Plus shows will change so the ESM has a chance to shine so it doesn't mention the mcu the theatrical releases this is about the disney plus stuff right so i think again you're not wrong giving him a this. place to shine means spacing it out from other stuff that would compete for its attention taking the spotlight away yeah i, th- I think that they're finally figuring out their calendar on disney plus but given how much I loved the show last year, I was so thrilled to see this kind of tossed away in the pile. The effect of Kevin talking about, yeah, Moon Knight. I, I think there's a future for that character as we move forward. So it's like, oh, cool. Are we going to get a Moon Knight season two? We were talking earlier in the show about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, and, and again, what's going on over at Rotten Tomatoes. But Kevin, as, as part of this interview, also talked about the test screenings that have been done for Quantum Mania so far. And, and then in the early days of the, these test screenings, Jonathan Major, the, the, the gentleman who's playing uh, Kang, started to pop in a real way. He's the highest testing villain we've ever had with any of our friends and family screenings. And that's really saying something, you know, on the heels of Thanos. But what I have to say that even early on... With a version of the film that had no effects. Jonathan is his own effect. Very happy to hear that. I, I still feel like Nancy and I are going to head out next Tuesday to catch this thing. Let's see. What else did he have to talk about? The introduction of the X-Men? Well, yes. But before that, he was talking about the Marvels. Mm. You know, this is another one of these. First, we have to do the Nick Fury secret invasion, you know, which tees up. Oh, what's going to happen in the Marvels? But Feige goes on to talk about, you know, that there's just something immensely powerful about seeing Monica and Kamala and and Carol together, you know, all of the the iterations in in a single frame. He said, for me, it kind of feels like it's like it was watching the first Avengers movie, you know, and seeing all of those actors in one frame. But yes, to, to circle back to what's going on with the X-Men, well, first of all, Kevin... 
was talking about how he excited he was that, that Hugh was coming back to do the first Deadpool movie within the MCU. And he said, I remember sitting behind the camera. He said, well, well, way behind the camera at his audition for the original X-Men movie. And, you know, it was his first on-set audition. He flew up to Toronto to do a read with Anna Paquin. And it, it's just bizarre to think we're here we are 23 years later and he's coming in for this Deadpool movie. He's got to be almost get it ready to get some sort of like not quite Guinness record, but, you know, a record mm -hmm. stating you've played this character longer than any other person has played a single character in the history of things put on film. Mm -hmm. I mean, can you think of anyone that's played a single individual that long? I mean, Tom Cruise is getting close with Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible series. Speaking of a number of years or, you know, an evolved history of a character, Anthony Mackie's Sam Wilson about to be the, the new captain america in new world order mm -hmm. and as part of this interview kevin front and center admitted that yes you know harrison ford is in fact going to be playing the president of the united states you know thunderbolt ross but this is also the very same person who put sam wilson in that supermax so this is a captain america who isn't necessarily a fan of the president of the United States. So when he's asked to do things, that's going to get a little interesting. What if they turned it into like a 48 hours buddy cop comedy where they, you know, it was like, Mr. President, I'm here to rescue you. And they get handcuffed together. Oh, I hate this kid. I put you in jail again if I could. Uh, just come with me. I got to save your life. Uh, yeah, I can almost see like that. I know they won't. But, you know, mm -hmm. just just while we're in the having the ability to still fantasize about things that will never happen, I, I can see him playing the the gruff uh, Nick Nolte character and, and Mackie playing the Eddie Murphy character, but with wings. You mean like a oh, jelly bird, a jelly bird that floats through the sky. <laughs> oh, I love a jelly bird. <laughs> Sorry to quote, I spy in the middle of all that. But anyway. <laughs> okay. Though, as long as we're talking about Thunderbolt Ross, I guess we, we also have to touch base on the Thunderbolts, which another thing that Kevin's very excited about, they're going to start shooting relatively soon. And he says, what's genuinely fascinating about this one is that all the characters we've grouped together, none of them consider themselves the heroes. And in fact, you know, when your de facto leader is Bucky Barnes, that's sort of all you need to know. This is going to be a group that's constantly at war within itself. I just want to know what color Bucky's arm is going to be so they can sell a new toy. I mean, they always have to change his arm. He doesn't really change much. It's his hair length and his arm color. You know, does it have a red star on it or is it pure silver? Oh, I'm going to give him a gold arm this time because he just came from a fancy dinner party and that was his dress arm. Okay, so now you've read this interview. So what did you take away in regard to, I mean, as Kevin talks here, he's looking like 10 films down the line and he's talking about how, for example, the Fantastic Four, once that film launches, becomes a huge, those characters become a huge pillar of the MCU. And didn't he say something similar about what they're planning to do with the X-Men as well? Or 
Well, he didn't want to give anything away with the X-Men. He did mention that, you know, they've only mentioned the word twice when uh, in, in Miss Marvel, they talk about <laughs> oh, it for that's Kamala. Right. That's right. And that, that's right. Uh, also, they mentioned it for Namor is, is a mutant. And that's mm-hmm. about as far as they've really gone so far. And he goes, yes, I know what we're going to do with mutants, but I'm not going to talk about it now. Obviously, Patrick Stewart did not get that memo. <laughs> I'm a good friend Ian McKellen what? and I are going to be doing blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. anyway I can well. see Kevin just boiling steaming man Patrick Stewart anyway uh, <laughs> he's so well. yeah he's, he's got a plan for X-Men he doesn't want to talk about it I hope that you know that it, it becomes part of the Disney Plus plan so mm-hmm. we can get to know there's so many characters in the X universe so to speak that I, I would hate to try and end up with the Eternals problem where you've got 12 characters that you're trying to get to know in a very rushed three-hour pace. Um, so I think, you know, if, if you had the luxury of eight hours, you could have a larger cast and do better service mm-hmm. to your storytelling that way. So I'm hoping that's where X-Men start to filter in one by one, not all at once, mm-hmm. just one by one here and there. And uh, after, you know, then we can finally get up to our Secret Wars. I really think at some point we need Avengers versus X-Men. That's always a battle that happens. Hmm. You know, so I, I no. think we got to build up to that as well. Um, and that that may be the whole point of Secret Wars is that may be how that shakes out is. Uh, I've thrown together two universes. This one we'll call <clears throat> the Fox universe. Uh, and that's X-Men. And here we'll call the proper 616 universe, which we know is the MCU. And that's all of our Avengers. And now, fight! And then they, they go at it like it's uh, Tekken 3 or something. But anyway, I, yeah, he's got a plan for that. But they also mentioned that they know what they're going to do with Spider-Man 4. And, and, but yes, they, yes. They're not gonna, they haven't got uh, writers to put pen to paper yet, but they know what they're going to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, again, that that it was in that way that that it it, it ended on that tease, you know, to the effect of that all he would say about Spider-Man Four is like, we have the story, we have big ideas for that. But as you mentioned, you know, the, but the writers are just putting pen to paper now. So, so one of the things, and without trying to get like spoilery, spoilery about Ant-Man mm-hmm. at all. Yep. But one of the things that I had read is that there are some characters that were in Ant-Man 1 and 2 that are not in this third one. And it's like, I really like that character, and I wish that character were in this movie, right? So you've got a case of that. Now, looking at Spider-Man, what if they don't bring back Ned or MJ because they're you know forgotten at the moment and they want a more solo Spider-Man story? Is that going to jive well with with the audience expectations? Because we've gotten to know that you know when there's a Spider-Man movie, it involves an MJ and a Ned now, because that's been the way it's been for the first three. Are we really going to just drop them by the wayside, or are we going to have to have some sort of "Hey, you guys remember me?" thing that happens over the course of this new upcoming movie? How are they going to handle that? You think? Where do you put your money? Do we do we get an MJ or don't we? I think you have to. I mean, especially on the heels of. Of no way home. I mean, you know. I mean, face it. The the just the scene at the very end of that, where Peter finally gathers his courage and goes to the the you know the the donut shop, and there's uh, MJ and Ned opening their their college acceptance letters, and he just he can't bring himself to say anything. I mean, it's yeah, just so sort of he, like he leaves, and 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 that should like kind of technically let them close the door. You see what I believe for for the sense of drama. That would be mm-hmm. excellent. Is if Peter, yep. uh, if if MJ and Ned do not show up in in the movie like at all, and Peter has mm-hmm. a solo adventure and he meets Gwen Stacy, 
And then at the very end of the movie, something happens where MJ bumps into Peter and Gwen, and she's like, don't I know you? And Peter's like, ah, fuh. And then they cut to credits. Okay. Uh, again, I, uh, folks at Sony, that check would go to Aaron <laughs> Adams. I mean, you, you, know, you, know, you uh, have to have drama in Peter's life at all times. And it doesn't always yeah, have to be no. MJ, but you, he's he's had other women in his life. Betty Brant was mm-hmm. once a, a brief love. You've got uh, Cat, uh, Black Cat, well, you know, Felicia Hardy, which is a, a big mm-hmm. thing in his life as well. And so you kind of have to get rid of MJ in order for him, because oh, otherwise he looks like a dirtbag, right? Because if you have MJ in the movie and he's like, ah, forget that girl, I'm going to go over here with this new one. He looks like a jerk. But if you just don't have her in the movie at all, and then he discovers a new person and then develops a romance and then you reintroduce MJ, he's not the bad guy, you see, and it, and it works for the drama. So that's that's where I'm laying my bet there. We're going to go MJ-less okay. okay. until the last second. I'm not sure I want to take that bet. That sounds like that sounds like a great cliffhanger. But again, that, that this is why we have Aaron on the show. He had the, the wonderful observations about the real world. And, and toward that end, seriously, folks, if you're not listening to his 32nd Street podcast, which, by the way, do you want to share the news about how people can, there, there are now additional ways to access the show, as, right? As of today, we've accidentally published our first episode on Podbean. It was supposed to come out tomorrow, but, eh, you know, schedules. Okay. Um, yeah, so it was like, yeah, we'll just let it be what it is. But uh, if you want to now listen without have to paying a, a subscription, you can do that on Podbean. Just look for 32nd mm-hmm. Street, 32ND Street. And uh, you can start with episode one. It's a full two months behind. If you want to get caught up to the right now, uh, head on over to Patreon. You can subscribe there. And the most current show is sad to say you have to underestimate your audience. If you're going to speak to all of America at once, you have to aim at a ninth grade level. I'm sorry to say that is a real thing. And uh, the one way we prove it, A&W came out with a third pound cheeseburger to go against McDonald's quarter pounder. Mm-hmm. Test results showed people loved it. It was tastier. For some reason, it filled them up more, but they didn't buy it. You know why? <laughs> Say it, Jim. You know why. You know why. Say it. <laughs> because for some reason, they, they, they thought the quarter pounder was bigger. more yeah, bigger. Because oh four is bigger God. than three. They were looking three, at the denominator and, and had <sighs> no factor for the numerator. And oh, so, yeah, wow. uh, four is bigger than three. Therefore, why should I pay for this burger when I can go obviously get more? And the thing was, they would all go, yes, but my belly is more full when I eat the third <laughs> pound one. But I want the bigger one, which is the quarter pounder, which oh. oddly doesn't fill me up as much. And so uh, A&W had to learn a hard lesson with their advertising dollar. You can either spend it all to teach Americans freaking basic math, or you can change the name of your burger to the Papa Burger. We talk about that on 32nd Street this week. Oh, that sounds great. Okay, well, uh, definitely check that out, folks. Uh, uh, and if, you, if you're in a mood to listen to some other podcasts, we do have a few more here at Jim Hill Media. Uh, we have Disney Dish, which I do with Len Testa. We also have uh, Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor, who, by the way, has his own uh, really cool podcast about Mission Impossible, Light the Fuse. In addition, uh, we have Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gunn. Uh, we just got a new episode of that out the door. If you could head on over to Apple Podcasts, 
I and rate and recommend, well, not only the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but also 32nd Street. That would be helpful. If you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, uh, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be cool. And let's see, we were talking earlier on the show about, uh, well, again, really fun stuff that Aaron was posting on social media. And uh, Aaron, can you tell folks how they can find you? Yeah, still over on Twitter, at Azaprod, A-Z-A-P-R-O-D. Well, and, and we do the social media thing, too. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. And I guess that's going to do it for this week, folks. So on behalf of Mr. Adams, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. And again, thanks for listening.